What's going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to another episode of a series that I am hosting exclusively here on the podcast called Current Rotations, where I share and discuss all of the records that I have been spinning as of lately on my turntable. And in today's episode, I'm going to be shining a light on some of the notable pickups that I snagged during my recent vacation in California. So if you follow my YouTube channel, you know that I recently made my way out to the West Coast to catch some live shows, caught two KISS concerts, one in Palm Springs, another one at the legendary Hollywood Bowl, and I also caught uh, Guns N' Roses the night before KISS played at the Hollywood Bowl as well. And I do have to say, it is major thanks to my good friends Morgan and TJ Stone King for giving me the opportunity to come out and visit California and experiencing life on the West Coast the right way by hitting up all kinds of great tourist sites. We checked out Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard, and they also provided their hospitality as well, which I am so grateful for. And for the first time meeting in person and having had just an online correspondence for a number of years, uh, we hit it off right off the bat. And let's just say we are already discussing a second trip for some time uh, once the new year kind of rolls in. So stay tuned for that. But most importantly, we managed to hit up a bunch of record stores and we hit up quite a great selection. We went to Amoeba in Hollywood. Uh, There was Rhino, Permanent Records, White Rabbit, Radiation, Cream Tangerine, as well as Factory Records. And um, like I said, this episode, I'm going to be shining a light on some of my favorite pickups from the trip, some golden gooses, as I kind of called them in the video, and also just some of the ones that I have been listening to extensively and am just so happy to own. So enough of the chit chat. Let's jump to what this episode is all about. So if you are a vinyl collector and you make your way out to the West Coast, or if you already live on the West Coast, um, the big notable hotspot to check out is Amoeba. And let me just say, it was quite massive in scale and selection. I honestly did not know where to begin when I walked in there. And I can tell you right now, I think me and the Stone Kings were in there for just a little under an hour, and I definitely just scratched a little bit beyond the surface. But I do have to say, and this is not at all a slight towards Amoeba. This is just how I personally feel. I do think Amoeba is a little bit overhyped. I mean, yeah, you can basically go there and find anything that you want, at least, you know, from what I was able to see what was in their stands. And, you know, yeah, there's the pillars of like the holy moly wall where you have the collectible pressings and things, but not too many bootlegs, which, you know, granted, if you're operating a store and you try to steer clear from that kind of stuff for legality reasons, that's totally understandable. Um, But I don't know. I think Amoeba just sort of has that sort of hipster kind of tag to it that I think like everybody just wants to go to Amoeba kind of for the street cred kind of. That's at least kind of how I felt about it. But needless to say, it was still a great experience and I was able to snag some really solid finds. And one of my favorite finds that I honestly haven't really seen around as of lately and I was kind of surprised to see it was the picture disc for David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World. Now, for a long time, I was kind of anti-picture discs. Um, I kind of saw them more as decorative, and if I was going to shell out money for something, I would much rather play it than hang it on a wall. But since I kind of went down the rabbit hole of collecting KISS picture discs, um, 
that has sort of leaked out into other artists that I collect. Not necessarily everyone, though. It's only a few select ones. And luckily, David Bowie is another one of those artists that I kind of collect extensively. And also, The Man Who Sold the World is one of my all-time favorite Bowie records. It's his hard rock album. Kind of gets a little bit more heavier, kind of reflective of, you know, the sound of bands like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin. Um, It's absolutely solid. Of course, the title track is relatively well-known because Nirvana covered it on their MTV Unplugged performance. But also, you have things like The Width of a Circle, All the Mad Men, The Supermen, After All. Um, Just some great um, Bowie cuts. Really nice deep cuts, I should say. Now, the picture disc that I picked up is rather unique because it came out, I believe, for the album's 50th anniversary a couple years back, and it utilizes the artwork from the 1972 RCA version uh, of the album when they had re-released it because the original 1970 Mercury pressing includes the sort of cartoonish album artwork, which does fetch a pretty penny if it's an official copy. There's a number of unofficials out there that came out back in the day, and then once Bowie kind of took off with Ziggy, RCA had re-released Space Oddity and The Man Who Sold the World. And um, like I said, they utilized that 1972 RCA artwork, which is basically a black and white photo of Bowie kind of like in action. He's kind of kicking in midair. That's the surface of the disc itself. And that's the main cover. And then the B-side of the record is like an alternate photo taken from that photo session. There's also a nice insert with lyrics as well as a fold-out poster consisting of the album artwork. And it sounds okay. Like there is that general just layer of, I call it picture disc hum. Like when you put the needle down on a picture disc, you just know what it sounds like. It does suffer through that, but that's already just a given. But it's still a very cool piece to have. And it's one, like I said, that I have not really seen out in my travels at other records stores and just given how I'm kind of just on the hunt for certain things that just happened to be one of them and I was very happy to snag that at Amoeba. Now I'm going to move on to a good bulk of my favorite finds and actually I think these were all the finds that I found at my favorite shop from the trip and that was Rhino Records. That store was just absolutely sensational both in terms of the selection and also how everything was spread out which was a little bit of a nice contrast to Amoeba where everything was kind of in tight quarters. Everything was able to breathe and also there was a lot of unofficial bootleg stuff which if you follow me in my channel you know that I love me some bootlegs and they had quite the arsenal of them let me tell you that right now now this record that I'm going to discuss was actually the last record that I found while I was there and it was just a sight unseen kind of thing where I saw it I had to have it even though I already had a copy in my collection that I don't know I feel like I've kind of gone through a weird string of different uh, copies of this particular album but the album I'm talking about is Billy Joel's The Stranger fantastic record from Billy Joel and it's one of those records that literally plays like a greatest hits you have moving out the title track just the way you are scenes from an Italian restaurant Vienna um only the good die young. She's always a woman. Get it right the first time. Everybody has a dream. I mean, literally, it plays flawlessly. Even some of the tracks towards the tail end that are kind of deep cuts and weren't necessarily hit singles are still so solid. So the pressing that I found was the 2LP 
45 RPM mobile fidelity sound lap pressing. Yes, I don't care if it's DSD. It sounds great. And uh, funny enough, I bought it sealed and it had a sticker that broke down the process of the pressing, which is what MoFi is kind of doing for a lot of their repressings of older titles because um, The Stranger, I think, came out roughly about 10 years ago. So I don't know if they renewed the license or they just got around to repressing it. But the sticker stated, and it's a shame because I unfortunately don't have the sticker with me. It said Dolby tape to DSD to lathe. So it kind of breaks it down right there. Yes, there was a digital step involved. Um, I guess in a way it somewhat makes sense because they also um, do their Super Audio CDs simultaneously with the vinyl. I don't know. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it sounds great. And here's the kicker. Because I bought it sealed, I paid 50 bucks. And I double-checked Discogs because I knew that it, it had been out of print. I don't know if this one repressing just slipped out or whatever the case was. But the lowest copy on Discogs was going for about 90 So $50 sealed versus 90 probably played once. I think that is a major deal right there. And I was so happy to get that. And I parted ways with my Walmart exclusive uh, copy, which came on marbled vinyl, which I thought kind of sounded a little meh. And before that, I just had like a standard 2008 reissue, which sounded decent to my ears. That was mastered by Ray Janos, to the best of my knowledge. And I kind of felt bummed that I kind of, you know, let go of that pressing because I really enjoyed it. It was probably the best single LP pressing I had heard of that particular album. Uh, so to basically get the Big Kahuna 2LP 45 RPM MoFi was a win-win for me. So the day that Morgan and I went to Rhino was a Friday. And Fridays are always typically new music release days at least physically. And I said from the start, I am on a manhunt for now and then. So of course, the big music headline that has been dominating everywhere you look is the release of the new and final Beatles single, Now and Then, which of course has a very interesting backstory. Started out as a John Lennon demo from around roughly 1977, just a piano demo that he had recorded onto tape. And then flash forward about 20 years later, uh, George, Paul, and Ringo got back together and they decided to revisit some of John's demos for the uh, Beatles Anthology Project. And of course, the two main songs that they had collaborated on that came out back in the 90s when the documentary and those albums came out were uh, Free as a Bird and Real Love. And then there was also some work put um, towards the track Now and Then, which the quality of the demo that they were working with was a little rough to where... Some of the technology advancements that were necessary to kind of work with this track just weren't present back then. So they kind of put it back in the cupboard and then George Harrison passed away. And I guess Paul always sort of had this itch to kind of work on the track. And then, of course, because of... um Peter Jackson's um, audio department that had worked on the Get Back documentary, um, he was able to utilize what is called MAL demixing technology, where you can take a track, send it to basically this machine, I guess you could say. It's very sci-fi, and you're able to eliminate everything from the track. So they took the John Lennon demo, eliminated the piano, 
and eliminated his voice and you can just work with that um isolated vocal track and from there they used some of the uh, parts that george recorded back in the 90s um paul recorded a fresh bass line ringo provided some fresh drums Giles martin uh, arranged a nice string arrangement and there you have the final beatles track and it was absolutely beautiful sounding i will say it's not the greatest beatles song ever but it's a nice bookend to their recording legacy and just to think for myself as a 26 year old human being living to see the release of a new beatles single that is a pretty big deal so i have just been embracing this track as well as the expanded red and blue albums which i did get my hands on but we're going to talk about now and then so anyways the way that they rolled these releases out is astonishing because literally like two weeks ago they announced the track and the red and blue compilations being expanded and remixed Then the single came out now and then just last week. And then, you know, they just did the um, the red and blue albums. They just kind of dropped them in a two week span. It's insane. And there are a number of different configurations for the now and then uh, single. There's, of course, various colored seven inches. Uh, There was a 10 inch exclusive to Spotify, a 12 inch single target exclusives. There was even a cassette single. I think that was on the Beatles web store. Now, ultimately, based on what was available at the time, I copped the uh, the 12 inch black vinyl single, uh, which I was very happy to get. It's cut at 45 RPM. Sounds great. And the B side is, of course, um, the Beatles first single Love Me Do, um, given a proper stereo mix using that demixing technology. And it sounds very pleasant and I say that I just got my Red and Blue expanded albums. I've yet to play them, and listening to that remix of Love Me Do is making me so eager to dig into those new mixes because, let me tell you, I think this is going to replace those wonky original stereo mixes where you just have the instrumentation on one um, channel and then all the vocals on the other. Kind of sounds a little bit uh, lopsided, but I am so stoked to get it. And that 12-inch single of Now and Then Back With Love Me Do has been getting some heavy rotation just because I am embracing this moment to hear new Beatles music as a fan in the 21st century. Now, of course, I had to be on the manhunt for some Kiss vinyl because I was there to see Kiss twice. I had to come back with something Kiss. And the one cool Kiss piece that I found at Rhino uh, was actually one that I was aware of for a little bit of time and I planned on getting at some point down the line. But it just wasn't really necessary because... I already have three copies of this album, (laughs) and it is another copy of Kiss Alive. What can I say about Kiss Alive? It's the greatest live album of all time, dare I say it, and I stand firm on that. But this copy that I found at Rhino was an unofficial pressing. Yes, I buy unofficials of official albums. That's just my weird little quirk. It's only for select artists, Pink Floyd, Kiss, maybe Bowie, but definitely more so kiss but here is the interesting thing about this unofficial press that makes it a bit of an oddity and it just kind of makes it a bit more intriguing and that is the album artwork so of course if you're a kiss fan you already know the album cover of kiss alive the copy that i picked up is an entirely different photo from the cover uh, photo session um it's a photo that i've definitely seen elsewhere on various compilations and things um it's a recognizable photo at least but it's literally just that picture 
same angle as what the original cover was shot in and it says alive in the top right corner in that stencil font just like the original it's just an oddity in that sense so the fact that it just has an entirely different cover using a different photo but yet kind of gives off the same kind of impact i thought that was intriguing and justifiable enough for me to own and then of course the back cover is um exactly the same with the two teenagers with the poster at kobo hall exactly the same as the original um it's a single pocket jacket with two lps but the records are pressed on yellow vinyl it plays back quietly it sounds solid to my ears and what's cool about it is that the center label consists of that glittery pink kiss logo that appears on the booklet that came with the original album which i just think that's a cool design for a custom center label so a little bit of an oddity type release and i know that a lot of the like official collectors will kind of scoff at the i say the term in quotations but it is true counterfeit pressings of official albums but you know if you're just a weird geeky fan that's into that weird kind of thing and you want to basically get your hands on just about anything of your favorite band then it's justifiable by any means. So it's one of my favorite picks uh, from the trip as well as from Rhino. The other piece that I picked up from Rhino is a great bootleg that kind of exists officially, but it's kind of hard to come by. So, you know, it does firmly exist in the bootleg realm. And that is Iron Maiden live in Donington 1988. And of course, this is a BBC broadcast uh, from the band's appearance at the legendary Monsters of Rock Festival held at Castle Donington in England back in 1988 during the Seven Son of a Seven Son tour. Like I said, it's a BBC broadcast, so it sounds fantastic. Uh, But the source of it does come from an official release. Uh, So back in the early 2000s, there was an Iron Maiden box set called Eddie's Archive that came out, which included three sets of two CD collections. There was Beast Over Hammersmith, which was um, made in live at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1982 from the um, Number of the Beast tour. Then there was Best of the B-Sides, which is a collection of curated uh, B-Sides and covers from uh, Maiden's uh, single discography. And then there was BBC Archives, which included radio shows, performances from the Reading Festival, as well as Donington from 1988. So that is what it basically comes from. And that box that has been long out of print and very hard to find. I managed to actually get each of the CD sets uh, from third-party Amazon sellers back when I was on a big Maiden kick when I first got into them back in like 2012. So I do have those CDs and I'm quite familiar with the Donington set as it appears on there. And that's exactly the source for this release. And it it literally just sounds like an official release. It's really, really cool. Front cover um, is very much in the seventh sun vein, very kind of polar blue with Eddie with a child and he has like his brain is on fire it's so cool back cover um, has a cool shot of from taking like from the stage basically you see like Bruce Dickinson at the very like you know far like front of the stage and the whole audience is there it's really cool glossy um, printed inner sleeve with photos backstage passes and posters and the vinyl itself comes pressed on a gorgeous piece of marble vinyl and it plays back very quietly so just between the beautiful presentation and the quasi-official source it's an all-around 
perfect bootleg package. Last but not least, I'm going to be focusing on a record that I picked up over at Permanent Records, and this store was a must for me because the guy that runs uh, Permanent Records also compiles the Brown Acid compilations for Riding Easy Records, and Brown Acid is my favorite series to follow as basically all of these volumes that have come out. So far right now, there's 17 of them, uh, brings together heavy rock from the underground come down. So it's a lot of obscure, locally released 7 inches, some privately pressed releases of just things that never really just quite caught on into the mainstream. And some of it is the best hard rock proto-metal that will sit well alongside your Deep Purples, your Zeppelins, and your Sabbaths. And the record that I picked up that was actually recently released on the Riding Easy label is Brotherhood of Peace, Cut and Loose. And this was another locally released album from around 1976. These guys were based out in the Carolinas, I want to say. And it is a solid piece of power pop, southern rock, and heavy boogie. I'm not going to lie. I more so picked this album up due to the recommended if you like section that came on the hype sticker um it does say that they were featured on the brown acid series i'm gonna have to go back and see which volume they appear on but get this the hype sticker states recommended if you like grand funk james gang deep purple big star and leonard skinnerd that right there sold me entirely. I did not need to hear a single note of it before I forked out my hard-earned money and bought this album. And let me tell you, it lives up to the hype on the hype sticker, let's just say. And it's just absolutely melodic. It's heavy. It's the perfect mesh of just airy song production mixed with big rockin' chords. And there's a little bit of a boogie influence in there as well, which was kind of big, you know, in the southern, you know, rock scene at the time with bands like Skinner and 38 Special. It's absolutely solid, solid stuff. So I bet you you probably have not heard Brotherhood of Peace cut and loose, but if you're listening to this episode, it's a good thing that this is the last record I'm leaving on because once you're done listening to this episode, now you can go on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or your local record store and get your hands on Brotherhood of Peace, cut and loose. So there you guys go. You have been listening to the Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Current Rotations. See you guys in the next episode. And most importantly, keep the record spinning. <laughs>